good morning, everyone. Nice to have so many of you join us this morning. My name is Gary Harvat from the Client Success Team here at Quick Med Claims, and I'm joined by my colleague, Chuck Humphrey, uh, who's from our compliance team. Uh, I am here in Pittsburgh. We have folks from all over the country joining us today. Chuck is in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And if you've seen the weather, uh, you probably know that we got belted pretty hard uh, yesterday with some heavy snow. Um, I just want to go up front and tell you that both of our internet connections have been up and down through the day. So uh, don't take offense if, uh, if you lose us or we lose you. We'll do our best to hopefully within the next 45 minutes or so um, stay online. We're working really hard for that. So a couple things before we get started with today's program. This is an interactive program. It isn't a, a webinar. And as much as we can't see you, and sadly, you have to look at both of us. Um, it is a two-way street. You can, of course, ask questions. Just simply go up to the bottom of your video bar and you'll see a little icon that says Q&A. Should you have a question, feel free to type it in. We'll be glad to answer it for you. And if we're not able to answer it for you because we are in very much um, a transition state with all of this, uh, we will work hard to get you that answer. So please understand that from the get-go. Um, please also understand that neither Chuck or I are, um, are of legal minds. Uh, we're giving you the information as it's been given to us from the uh, webinars and information that we've read and attended and extending this to our clients um, really is a value added type of offering. So uh, we're neither lawyers nor nor do we stay. We didn't even couldn't even get to a holiday in Express last night if our life depended on it. Could we, Chuck? No, no, so not at all. It was uh, it's been quite the, the last 24 hours here. So with that, we'd like to just kind of talk about the vaccination program as we know it. Um, also give you a little background along the way uh, to help you feel a pretty, uh, have a better understanding of this whole process and what got us to this point. Because you folks as providers and as leaders of your organizations have some decisions to make, not only with with about, about vaccinating your staff, but deciding if you wanna go into the mass immunization uh, segment of this as well too. And I recognize that there's some of this is not for everybody. Uh, some of you are just really content on just getting your people vaccinated. And of course, uh, we couldn't agree more. We think all of you should be at the very, very, very front of the line. Um, sadly, I've read some things of late in the past uh, few days that, you know, here we go again. The EMS folks are working hard to get in the front of the line for vaccinations. Um, uh, while I have great respect for all the hospital and healthcare workers that are out there, um, you folks who are working the streets and in the air are really at the front of the front of the line. So um, God bless the great work you do and continue to do it. And uh, um, my hat's off to you. Chuck and I um, are both old EMS guys. I no longer um, am active, but Chuck still is. Um, and we recognize how incredibly um, challenging this job has been for your teams. And again, we can't thank you enough. And uh, I get very passionate. I actually get a little emotional about, um, you know, the fact that I've spent so many years in this profession and just watching you guys do the job you do is just so heartening day in, day out. Just, it's just amazing to me. So um, I'm sure Chuck will um, echo my sentiments, but I very simply wanted to state um, right from the get-go, how much we appreciate the job you do and God bless you all. And I hope 
none of you have had anybody that has been seriously affected um, by this uh, terrible virus. You know, um, I've been actually home since, uh, I was home from March through June, and then I started going into our office and have been going in. I'm home today because of the snow, um, but it's, um, it's hard to get used to. It's really a big change in everybody's lifestyle. And as you know, um, a lot of us have been working at home, uh, be it whether you're in the healthcare world or in, your, in the EMS space, maybe you're working more from home than you once did if you're in the office. But um, it's been tough, it plays on us all. It's heavy on our minds, it's uh, tough on our spirits, but um, hopefully with any luck at all, um, the vaccine that you see in front of you is, um, the answer to many, many prayers. So let's hope we go that route. But today we're gonna to talk about uh, just the, the general scope of practice and the liability concerns. Um, Chuck's gonna concentrate and do much of the heavy lifting on administering and billing for the vaccine and enrolling as a vaccinator and uh, taking, taking those things into consideration. So um, let's just move forward here. Now, you know, one of the questions that you have to ask as an employer of many people is, you know, can we make vac vaccinations mandatory? Um, and there are some considerations, some are, some aren't, and I'll give you what we've learned so far. Uh, of course, you know, we've all gone through many vaccines in our lifetime. I can remember um, polio. I don't know if you remember this, Chuck, but um, I remember going to a, a local church near the church that I went to and people lined up for um, sugar cubes. I don't know if you recall this or not, but, um, you know, we, we have lived through this once before. And, uh, you know, I, I always thought as a child, and I even think so now, I'd rather take the sugar cube than the injection. But, but given this, this, this terrible virus, um, there is no question we all need to we all need to have the uh, immunization as much as we can. So just a little background here, you know, across the United States, um, getting a new drug approved or um, is, is a very challenging and lengthy process. And typically drugs go through a very, very deep detailed um, system and it, and it gets approved under what we call the biologic Biologics License Application, the BLA. And that little graphic there just kind of shows some of the hoops that a pharmaceutical manufacturer has to go through to get um, any medication, any new medication approved. Sometimes this process can take years, years in the making before it comes out. Obviously, we're in a little bit of a different situation now um, with the coronavirus vaccine, but you know the FDA has a responsibility to determine if a vaccine is truly safe and effective. Excuse me, based on multiple laboratory studies and clinical trials, um, we have um, done some of those with the um, COVID vaccines that are out there, but this is actually the first. Um, vaccine that has been approved ever under the emergency use authorization, so it, or called the EUA. And in the EUA says um, it may be effective, may be effective versus the drugs that they put through the long and lengthy clinical trials, they term them as is effective under the BLA. And we all know, of course, that COVID is an extremely serious disease. Um, we've all been affected. I was just talking to Chuck last night, and you know, one of the things that came up is when we first were moved to home in March, um, we knew of somebody that knew of somebody that knew of somebody 
that had the disease. Now you can walk outside and really point up and down your street or even in your office and say, yeah, they tested positive. Yeah, they tested positive. God forbid my neighbor down the street was in the hospital with it. It, it just seems that circle's getting tighter and tighter and tighter around us. So, um, and, and that's one thing I wanna warn everybody about, and I'm sure you've done this with your teams already, but uh, don't become complacent. And we're all in healthcare, and I think I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but you know, we all see that little light at the end of the tunnel, but there's still a lot of work to do, and this pandemic is really raging all around us. So, um, of course, it is a serious life-threatening uh, disease, and as a result, um, we have a reason to believe that the vaccines that have come out from Pfizer, Moderna, and I think Johnson & Johnson also has one, don't they, Chuck? Yes. Um, they're working on as well, too. Um, maybe, that's the operative words here, may be effective in treating or preventing the disease. Um, and as a result, uh, no, there isn't any known, known or potential benefits outweigh known and potential risks and there has, there's no adequate approved or available alternative. So as a result, this medication, these medications have been approved under the EUA. So it really, you know, they really came out about two months ago um, because the FDA mandated two months of trials before they would even consider the EUA. So back in October, you know, you probably saw it on the news a few times. They were testing these drugs and they tested them for a period of 60 days uh, with a core group. And um, after that, here it is December, two months later, that's why we're seeing these drugs now appear on the market. Um, so, you know, the you have other entities involved in this, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA. Um, they're still playing a little catch up and really have not issued specific guidelines on COVID-19 vaccine. And Chuck, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're really using the guidelines back from the H1N1 days for some of this. Is that correct? That is correct. That's right. So, for now, that is right. right. And again, back to that word fluid. Um, and we actually, Chuck's got some things even that have just came, come out today that we want to share with you. So you know, this is a constantly changing things, but we even have these major entities out there that typically provide us safeguards and guidelines for all of this that has not caught up yet, but we expect that to happen shortly. Um, so as a general rule, employers may require the flu, flu vaccine. So uh, as long as employers provide reasonable accommodations to staff members with um, anybody that falls under the ADA, or anybody who has significant religious beliefs under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act uh, back in 1964. Um, so when we talk about reasonable accommodations, we must provide reasonable accommodation to employees with a qualified disability, somebody who clearly has a handicap that they cannot, for whatever reason, um, take the vaccine. Um, and we don't have any duty as employers to accommodate if it places an undue hardship on our business operation, or an employee poses a direct threat to the health or safety of others. So um, there's a lot of things that come into play here. And when we talk about direct threat, um, the CDC has basically come out and made mention of the coronavirus by saying, based on the guidance of the CDC and Public Health Associates, as of March 20th, and I think this is, goes back to retroactive to February 4th, the COVID-19 pandemic meets the direct standard threat. And to the best of my knowledge, 
I don't know if there's been another disease out there that has fallen in that category. Chuck, do you, are you aware of any? I'm not aware of it. No, this is, okay. this is uncharted territory. Yeah. Yep. It's brand new water. No question about it at all. And of course there's, there has to be accommodations for those who take it um, for whatever reason, have sincerely held religious beliefs. Um, and when I was listening to one of the webinars out there, you know, um, and this is okay, people have those, and this is surely not for us to decide, um, but sometimes people will say political beliefs are their religious beliefs, or they come up with some new religion on their own, um, but it has to be sincerely held religious beliefs. Don't ask me to define that, um, or Chuck, but uh, you know, you would want to make sure that you seek legal advice if you do have somebody who takes exception, exception to that. And of course, always check your state laws and they should be out there, whether you're in New York today, like some of our friends are, Pennsylvania. I know we've got some folks from Alaska and Arizona and Florida on with us as well. Make sure you're checking your state laws because really the CDC has put a lot of the onus on this on the states. So, you know, Ohio may be a little bit different than Pennsylvania, Arizona may be a little bit different than Texas. So just make sure you're paying attention to how your state is viewing much of this as well too. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you're gonna hear more and more information about from OSHA and from about the National Labor Relations Act, they're involved. So there's, you're gonna be getting a, a lot of information overload coming at you probably in the next few, few days, couple weeks, a lot of things happening. You know, I, I was listening to the news this morning and there's already, you know, the, the stories are coming out about some person having a bad reaction and uh, anaphylactic reaction. And I, I know Chuck, you have some, some issues you personally have to watch, which I know you'll share. Um, and that's gonna happen when any type of mass immunization takes place, people will have um, adverse reactions along the way. Fortunately, um, they were easily corrected but it's going to happen. But, you know, uh, overall, I think for the most part, the vaccine has been proven to be safe. It's been tested for 60 days, not a lot of time, but uh, it has been tested. And uh, it's important to try to move forward um, as much as we can. There's surely going to be exceptions along the way. So as an employer, um, can you require it? Yes, but we covered some of the exceptions. Um, and I think it's really better. And everything that we've read and heard, it's probably better to consider encouraging employees to get the vaccine rather than requiring them to take it. And that's how um, they're viewing it. That's basically wording from the H1N1 guidelines that were put out because we haven't a, don't have new ones yet. And of course, you as EMS providers, as healthcare uh, professionals, um, you do have a stronger interest in requiring um, the employees. So make your own decisions, get yourself the best information that you can, but definitely make informed decisions along the way because um, that's important to do your homework before um, you mandate vaccines for your employees. So um, of course, as I mentioned, give them, give yourself as much information as you can, learn as much as you can, pay attention, read the journals, read the information that's out there. Um, I will tell you that I've spent more time on the CDC website in the last few weeks than I probably have in my entire lifetime. So there's tons of information on there. There's a lot of things to help you. There's forms and, and applications, which Chuck will cover here, but just some really great information on there. So, uh, you know, if you have the chance, get in there, dig in and check it out. 
So I'm going to turn this over to Chuck right now to talk about administering and billing for the vaccine. I think this is a lot of information that you folks actually wanted to hear today so you can make better decisions um, if you're considering serving as a mass immunizer along the way. Um, so Chuck, I'll turn this over to you and we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, Gary. And, and also just to, to close your part out there, um, this is, might be a good time to uh, pick up the phone and call your uh, legal advisors. Um, just double check. I know our friends at Page Wolfberg and Worth uh, are really out in front of this and done a great job uh, and uh, certainly have that expertise. So um, don't don't guess on any of this, you know, where your employees no. are concerned, because there is no precedent for this as we've talked. So this is a good time to to make use of those yeah. folks. And uh, I, I would highly suggest yeah, it. So let's talk about administering and billing uh, for the vaccine here. So I know many of you uh, have been contacted. You're starting to see, um, you know, this rolled out. I know uh, here in Pennsylvania the other day, 97,500 vaccines were distributed to hospitals throughout the state. And that list is growing. We anticipate that the Moderna vaccine will be approved maybe as early as today or tomorrow. And so there'll be uh, a higher uh, level of distribution. I know that AAA, the American Ambulance Association has a campaign going on right now. They, they would like you to do a hashtag uh, and post you're getting the vaccine and make a comment. So I know there was a young man today, I believe from the Rochester area on their daily email showing that he got the vaccine and talking about how he felt that it made him stronger. So, you know, kudos to everyone. But um, so let's talk a little bit about we're going to shift gears about getting the vaccine ourselves as healthcare providers and move into the administration of the vaccine to the public and how EMS um, basically is being deputized to be part of that and then how we can recover uh, on that loop. So one thing I just want to make the case for here before I go any further is it, when thinking about billing, we're not billing for the vaccine. The vaccine is being provided free by the federal government. In fact, um, today, Congress, once again, is going to take up further discussion of another stimulus bill. And in that stimulus bill, uh, thanks to Good Morning America, because that's where I got my information from this morning while trying to watch what all the snow totals were on my local news. Um, they mentioned that additional money for vaccine purchasing um, is in that bill. So when we're talking about reimbursement for vaccines. We're talking about the administration of the vaccine. We cannot recover dollars for the vaccine itself. So I'll just make that point. So there are things that before we even get the discussion of billing, there are things that you as our clients need to consider on your end before we can even get to the billing point. So we're going to start out with that. Uh, so first of all, you have to be authorized and also consult your EMS scope of practice. Now, whether that is state or it is individual, such as a regional or individual medical directors. And Gary, we know from our clients in Texas right. um, that um, Texas uh, allows each medical director to determine what individual providers can do. Whereas here in Pennsylvania, we're a little bit more broad and, and Pennsylvania is locked down to the administration to being uh, paramedic level, ALS level, uh, or advanced EMTs. And then throughout the country, this can vary. So first of all, uh, you'll wanna check um, your state scope, uh, your individual scope, whatever that applies, make sure that you have taken a look at that 
and know right off the bat who in your organization is even eligible to do this. And go ahead, Gary, you can advance. Um, so let's talk a little bit about liability and immunity here. So the Public Readiness Emergency Preparedness Act, the PREP Act, has deputized us as EMS, because typically we are not in the immunization loop, but this has given us a, um, uh, a waiver, so to speak, in order to act on behalf of the Health and Human Services Secretary, uh, who issued a declaration to provide immunity to all of us uh, under both federal and state law to those of us that normally do not do this kind of action. And that emergency declaration was issued on March 17, 2020 and retroactive back to February 4th. So they anticipated that those of us in the field uh, would have to be involved in some kind of public readiness, public response, and that's the where we're at now. So they were proactive in uh, giving us PREP Act immunity. So uh, before those of you who are worried about, well, what can I do and can't, obviously we have to operate under scope of practice and under uh, best practice guidelines for the uh, uh, people that normally do this. So we have to act under that umbrella uh, so we don't do anything that would harm a patient. So, um, you know, it'd be a good idea to have a basic understanding uh, surrounding immunizations and what best practices are in the clinical setting so you understand those kind of parameters that will operate under. And I'm sure that many of the state associations and, uh, you know, your state uh, departments of health and will issue further guidance as we go along. Uh, EMS providers have immunity under the SAC to administer. Um, and again, um, you know, it's specific for vaccine administration uh, and then govern immunity for public agencies as well. Go ahead there, Gary. So uh, our potential roles in that administration, and also we have to think about, this also now covers us for the monoclonal antibody infusion process, which isn't a vaccine, but is a, is a process, and we'll talk about that as it goes along. Uh, so become familiar with this process. It does vary by state. Um, you really want to talk to couple different sources of information on your side. You wanna to talk to your state ambulance association, um, those bodies, uh, whether it be on the fire side uh, or on the EMS side specific, or in some states there's a combination of the two. Um, these are great sources of information. These people lobby, they talk with state legislators, they talk with state um, agencies, uh, if you're not already connected, the, the American Amp Association has done a fine job with this. Great webinars, great information. Uh, I, I know here in our state, the um, Ambulance Association of Pennsylvania has done a fine job. I get regular emails from uh, various other New York State Volunteer Ambulance and Rescue Association, uh, the Virginia office uh, and, and the Virginia uh, volunteer groups. And so there's a lot of great uh, information out there. Also, if you have not done so and not are regularly not connected, uh, connect with your public health authority. And, and so what we have to consider is right up front is can you get the vaccine? So I know, you know, first day or two when this started breaking, we received some calls and it was like, hey, I, I, can I get into this? Well, well, hang on, put the brakes on. Are you able to first 
Are you going to be able to obtain the vaccine? And then secondly, um, are you going to be able to store it and receive it? Because this involves cold storage. It's um, several negative uh, degrees uh, Celsius uh, in transmit. That's why transferring involves dry ice. And then once you take it out of that packaging, it has to go into some special storage before you can administer. And there's a small window of time between removing it from the, the ultra freeze into the um, thawing process. And then the administration has to be within a certain window. I know here um, uh, in our discussions in my local EMS where I'm involved, um, we're talking about signing up for the vaccine. And then if you can't make it for some reason, um, if you're ill or you know you have something come up that it's a life event that we need to call in and then have our spot replaced by somebody who can take our place because we don't want to waste it. And there's only a certain shelf life uh, from cold storage to thaw to administration that can go on. So you have to make sure that you connect with these people because I will think unless you're part of a large organization, hospital organization, that many of you probably do not have this kind of cold storage available to you on a regular basis. So either you're going to have to consider purchasing it, or you're going to have to consider partnering with somebody that you can work with in a group uh, collaboration in order to store and have this available. So when you're ready to administer it, it's, uh, it has the proper shelf life. So, and then also your state and regional EMS offices. I know uh, that Dylan Ferguson, our Pennsylvania uh, uh, EMS uh, director has done a great job in getting information out. Uh, I know Joe Schmieder down in Texas has done a great job. Joe used to be our uh, EMS director here in Pennsylvania. Um, and, and, you know, all over the place, there are, you know, guys that are helping us. Um, they've really stepped up. So, uh, kudos to those people who we take our direction from, uh, but be in touch with these people beyond their listservs, beyond, uh, you know, their email addressing. And um, so no going up in front because the billing is the back end. You have to be prepped up front for this for sure before you even get to that point. Uh, so, you know, uh, information that you have to provide to the CDC. So this is a process where you have to enroll with the CDC to become a mass immunizer. And it's not a hard process because they're making, they're taking down many of the normal hurdles uh, in order to get this rapid because they want to use us. Let's face it, folks, this is a chance for us to shine. Um, you know, EMS sometimes takes the backseat on this, but we're mobile. You know, we can get, uh, we have ambo buses, we have um, places where we can set up shop on street corners and, and have that kind of sterile environment that's on the fly. So this is a chance for us to really make a contribution to uh, American uh, society as a whole. And I think that's exciting. But so you're going to have to name a vaccine coordinator and have that contact information available. Uh, you're going to have to make available the delivery times and have a plan in place. Are we going to roll this out? Is it going to go out to the general public by news outlets? Are you going to have it on your website? Uh, how are you going to get uh, the word out that there um, are uh, vaccination uh, places where you're going to be involved? Uh, again, what is that storage capacity? You're going to have to um, make note of that and then have a certificate that you have that available. And so you'll learn that from the CDC when you connect with them. The CDC websites are up. Now, a simple Google 
for CDC vaccination. We'll put you in touch with that. And then also you're going to have to provide the patient profile, the population serve, because the federal government wants to track this so they can say that X number of people are being immunized in what areas. So they have a, a grander scheme um, of knowing exactly both the HHS and the uh, CDC um, and CMS all have a handle on exactly how this is being rolled out, especially in rural, rural areas. Those of you that serve in very remote areas, it's of interest that this not only go out in the cities, but also make it to your parts of the world as well. Uh, there's the uh, link for the CDC uh, website. Um, uh, you know, we can make this available to folks uh, uh, via COVID help at quickmedclaims.com. Uh, um, Gary, I don't know how you're deciding to disseminate that, but uh, whether you want to put that in the chat, maybe they can uh, uh, connect. Uh, we'll make that available, folks. Absolutely. Um, uh, just be in mind that not every state is completely following the CDC guidelines. So again, know that process. Uh, states can supersede that process. Uh, but if there's no state process, it reverts back to the CDC guidelines and that playbook uh, hit by hit is available. And again, once again, you must register as a mass immunizer with them. Great websites, by the way, I've taken a look at this. Yeah. Uh, there is a provider agreement that you must sign an attestation statement, and that commits you to doing the reporting. Uh, reporting will be online. Uh, but, you know, the, folks, you have to think of this just like you're tracking NARCs. Those of you that you know and, you know, ALS services that extensively have uh, long uh, logs that you're tracking uh, narcotics and, and waste and whatnot, um, this will be a similar process. Uh, so you are going to have to, you know, there's going to be some uh, administrative time with this. So consider that before you dive in the headlong into the pool. Um, do you have the people in your office? Do you have the time? Are you, you know, right now, um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm assuming it just about everywhere. We're running our tails off uh, with COVID affected people. Um, of course, the, the normal flow of emergencies continue to happen as usual out in the street. Uh, so will you be able to account for this? Will you have the proper mechanisms in place and the proper manpower hours uh, to do this? Think long and hard about that, because you certainly don't want to make extra stress for yourself. And also, uh, we're in holiday period. So, you know, many of you want to have some time, even if it's going to be a socially distanced, um, smaller, uh, celebration that what you're used to, we all want to have that quality time at home. So consider as you ramp up, are you going to have the time to do that? And on top of that, as we just experienced over the last 24 hours, um, we're in weather phases. Those of us that are in the sunny parts of beautiful America to the south, uh, we deal with beauty at, uh, measures in feet. So um, um, Troy, Pennsylvania, Gary, 40 inches this morning they woke up to. Crazy. Goodness. Shout out to our friends at Western Alliance Emergency Services up there because they're, uh, they're plowing snow this morning for sure. They sure are. Uh, and here's the additional resources. So there is a COVID-19 uh, vaccination provider support. Um, also, I want to say that, again, state associations, uh, Gary mentioned just a few minutes before we started this webinar, the New Hampshire Association of Fire Chiefs, which is a fantastic organization. Shout out to those guys. I've, I've learned that they're, they're excellent. Just put out a uh, email. Uh, so those of you that are in New Hampshire, our clients up there that are listening in on this call, 
Uh, make sure you read that email. There is a state uh, connection website there uh, where they're giving some guidance on this. So make sure you uh, uh, take that in. Brent, good job up there uh, at the NHAFC. Congratulations. Um, just some really good. So make sure you uh, take avail of that. That's all great information. And also it's specific to your individual state. So, um, you know, uh, take a look at that. Uh, so you so you know exactly how um, this is all applying within your, your own uh, scope uh, of area and geographic areas. So let's talk about billing. So once you get done with all that, so now you have registered with the CDC, um, you have um, made avail and know that you can store it. You're gonna get the vaccine. It's gonna be available to you. Now we wanna think about billing uh, for the administration. So what you have to understand folks is all of us who bill and bill Medicare, so now look, we can bill all sources for this except for patients. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, but commercial insurances, um, in theory, will be paying for this. Uh, I have to tell you, I haven't heard from any of them yet. Uh, but certainly Medicare always drives the bus for us. How will this be paid and applied by Medicaid? I haven't seen too much of that yet. Uh, so just know that going in. So we're going to talk largely about Medicare. Uh, because that's what we know the most of today. So um, as you begin to think about billing, um, first you have to enroll as what's called a type 73 provider. This is also known as a roster biller. Now today, those of you who are billing for ambulance transports are a type 59 provider. So you are billing for transportation. This is billing as a type 73 or a roster biller. Typically, EMS is not able to enroll as a type 73, but CMS has dropped that and has included ambulance in the ability to enroll. Now, temporarily, we will receive approval for that. Now, if you're part of a hospital organization, those of your friends that are listening that are part of hospital systems, your hospital system may already be a type 73. So check with your administrators uh, and your offices, your billing offices to check to make sure because you may not have to enroll your individual NPI for this. You may be part of your larger umbrella. So don't bound out there and do something that's a duplicate uh, if you're already enrolled. But for those of us who are not connected with that type of entity, then we would have to enroll as a type 73. Now, this is about, um, I'm told, via our webinars, uh, via both the uh, Paige Wolfberg and Worth and the AAA webinar, um, about a 60-minute process. Um, one organization did it in 51 minutes, start to finish. That's unprecedented. Um, all the MACs are required by CMS to have an enrollment hotline that you can call. So check with your, and when I say MAC, that's M-A-C, Medicare Administrative Contractor. Uh, check with your MAC online to look at what their number is and or process, which may be an online process, okay? Um, so you will submit on the phone with a representative key information. Um, for example, your, the name of your organization, the legal business name, social security number of organization, is an organization officials. This is much like the 855 process. Those of you who work with our um, um, uh, revalidation uh, department, our implementation folks that do revals with you, 
Um, this is similar. So you will have to enroll, name your officials, name your organization, uh, put your uh, tax ID number, your EINs. Um, and then while you're on the phone, believe it or not, um, they will send you either by secure email or by fax an approval letter with your authorization number. So you will get a provider transaction access number, a PTAN, that is separate from the PTAN that you use for ambulance billing. So you're going to have a second number. This will last through the end of the public health emergency. At the end of the PHE, if you want to continue, then there would be a enrollment process. That is, if the government extends this, and we have a belief that they will, because remember, it's not going to be a one and done. Um, we're not sure yet. We say we, the healthcare community, is not sure of how long the immunity from these vaccinations are going to last. So much like our annual flu shot, there will be a revaccination period. I have heard as little as six months. I have heard as high as two years. Of course, I get the pneumonia shot. I'm, I'm asthmatic. That lasts me every 10 years. I only have to revaccinate every 10. And yet I have to go get a flu shot every year. We have to remember that this is a SARS uh, type of um, uh, 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 disease. And as such, it can mutate and become something else. That's why every year we get the flu shot because the new iterations are studied. Um, and then as the uh, disease mutates, we have to get a different type of vaccine to protect us against the next one. So um, this will be a revaccination process. And so it's likely that those of us that get into this may continue on a long-term basis after the PHE has been declared uh, completed, which who knows when that will be, uh, then we, if we want to continue, you would have to re-enroll permanently. So just keep that in mind. Uh, advance that there then, G. Um, so steps to enroll. Uh, you'll enroll as a mass immunizer through the COVID hotline. Um, contact the MAC, of course, like we said. Uh, provide that key information. Uh, the MAC screens the provider on the phone and issues the, the and then uh, you begin submitting vaccination claims to Medicare. Now that's where we'll come in. Now I have to tell you, we're still in our infancy of understanding what that means. We're talking with the software vendor that we use. We're talking with um, you know the CMS on our side. Uh, we're making decisions internally. So there are things that you need to do right now. And by the time you get done with all of that, we'll then have communication uh, via your client success rep, via your um, uh, operations team that handles your uh, account. And um, there will be more communication between us, meaning QMC and you as the individual, when we finally understand, first of all, who of you are going to participate, um, what is your uh, level of participation, how do you operate, and then we'll have to, you know, discuss with you how we obtain information from you uh, with regard to uh, documentation, because this isn't going to be your typical EMS run sheet, you know, that comes through the patient care reporting program. Uh, we believe that it's going to be similar to um, the type of roster um, documentation that a doctor uh, or a healthcare clinic submits um, uh, that they have to fill out as far as their reporting. So we're learning about all that right now. And again, fluid process, folks, 
uh, we're rolling out. We wanted you to have this information to know what you're doing because um, this is stuff that you can be doing right now until we get to the point where you're actually going to be administering and, and doing that. Uh, roster billing, you know, you must administer the same type of vaccine per roster. We know there are two vaccines and there are two administrations of each of those. So there's basically four uh, different subsets and that has to be administered to five or more people on the same date in order to complete the roster. And then uh, you upload that to the MAC jurisdiction. Uh, electronic claims, we'll be talking with our uh, clearinghouse vendors. Um, there is also the PCACE billing software that's out there that the federal government provides. Uh, and then also paper claims uh, can be on what we call the CMS 1500 form, uh, which may be also part of the process. So again, uh, we're reviewing that right now, uh, but those are just some of the pieces of the puzzle that we have to put together as your, as your billing contractor. Um, again, it shows clearly, just wanted to show you, you definitely are listed as a non-institutional special exception eligible um, supplier of the uh, vaccine administration. Uh, reimbursement, well, how much are we gonna get? Well, first of all, again, no reimbursement for the vaccine itself. Um, the vaccine is coming in to be approved for first dosage, at $16.94. Now that's the base um, qualifier. As with the Medicare ambulance fee schedule, it is filtered through what we call the geographic practice cost indicator. We call it the GYPSI, the GPCI, when the final payment is made. And that accounts for regional uh, differences in costs. Um, so we will not know the actual number for you individually, but it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $17. The second administration will be somewhere in the neighborhood of $28 and change. Um, it's coming in on the base at $28.39. Once it's filtered through to GPCI, that'll be um, determined then what the end pricing will be for you in your regional area. As you know, if you're in California and you're listening in today, you've got 30 some different charge class areas across the state where the numbers are different. Here in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia providers, if you're listening in and you're in the Philadelphia area, Pittsburgh area, you're getting paid a different rate than what my ambulance is here in Northeastern Pennsylvania because we're accounting for difference in regional costs and, and considerations. So it will vary throughout the country but it'll sift out to be something close to this. Uh, also, the um, administration of the monoclonal antibody, that is an infusion process. That comes in much higher. It's gonna come in at around $310. And that's because it is a three hour process, an hour for prep, an hour for the actual administration, and an hour for monitoring the patient following. I will also say, Kim, keep in mind that even with the, um, COVID vaccine, there is going to be a monitoring period. Uh, there were, I'm sure you've seen on the news, uh, one of my concerns in getting it is um, I have had a history of some anaphylactic reactions. Uh, so 
I'll be monitored following that administration for 15 to 30 minutes. Consider that as you're considering what kind of time consideration your people are going to be involved in here. My particular EMS system, uh, uh, we're using our um, uh, medics in uh, conjunction with our clinical people um, and also with our mobile integrated health uh, uh, portion of our system. So, um, you know, think about that. Do I have the people available? Um, you know, this is not something you're going to set up and then your guys and girls can run off on a run and then come back. You know, they're, they're, they're going to have to be there. So do you have that kind? You're going to have to pay overtime to people that are already putting. Uh, these are things that you really need to consider. But that um, um, infusion process for the monoclonal antibodies, if you're going to be delivering that, then that's a three hour process per infusion. So consider that. And that's why the rate of payment is higher, of course, because it involves other supplies other than just, uh, you know, a syringe for injection. It's going to involve, uh, you know, um, uh, tubing and saline solution to administer and those kind of things. Additional billing considerations. Well, does your billing agency, us in, in this case, have that capability in software? As I said, we're actively um, working on implementation right now. So rest assured that we'll have a solution for you. Um, and then what are the additional charges for billing these claims? This is a conversation that we will have uh, with you as a client um, and, and how this finally sifts out in the scope and what's what we feel is involved in what we have to do. So these conversations will happen one-on-one. -on -one, uh, so you are aware of that going in uh, and we're aware of what it's gonna take for us uh, in order to do that here. And so folks, that's, uh, that's what I have for you now. Uh, certainly more to follow. I also wanna just throw, this is an added, um, <laughs> again, something that just rolled this morning. Um, tranche three of the CARES uh, provider relief fund. If you applied for round three, check your bank accounts. That money's moving as we speak, may have already moved to you, uh, or you're gonna find out that you weren't eligible. And that's possibility. So if you couldn't show that you had additional costs due to COVID, you couldn't show that effectively and or you've already received the 2% of your um, billing revenue from last year in the first or second round, then you're probably not going to get third round. But if you did apply and you are successful, that you demonstrated you had significant uh, costs because of the uh, spike uh, that we're going through right now, then check your bank accounts because uh, you may be surprised that you have an early Christmas present one week early uh, with some extra additional funds. So uh, that's moving as we speak. Uh, as I said, um, Congress is actively debating what the next round of stimulus is going to be, both for us personally as American citizens and also additional monies uh, to support all of us. Um, so do a double check. Uh, that. So I see we have some questions, uh, G. Yep, sure. Um, uh, Chuck, first question, I think this is more of a medical question, maybe outside our scope to answer, but we can just give us what uh, past history has been. With some vaccines, this comes from Felicia, with some vaccines taking them, after taking them, is there a time frame that you should not be around the elderly babies, pregnant woman? Is this the same as the COVID-19 vaccine? Well, I'm going to talk to you uh, um, and, and funnel what our medical director here locally said to us, because the question came up, 
uh, well, doctor, if, if we get the vaccine, do we then have to continue wearing masks? Because in our system, we're being masked. When we're on shift, we have to have a mask on at all times unless we're eating or drinking. Um, and he uh, said to us, look, um, remember, first of all, this is only 95% effective. So one in so many of us is going, one in 20 of us is going to have to, uh, at some point, be cautious because it may not protect us. Okay, so that in mind, and also there is a two-part process. So certainly after you get your first injection, um, you are not going to be fully immune. So you're going to have to wait on the second one, however many weeks that is. And I've heard anywhere from three to six weeks. I don't know if I know that yet. Maybe you know, uh, G, I, I don't know if I read that definitively. But so until that second one gets in, I would think we have to be. And then even after that, we're going to be precautionary until the FDA has chance to fully evaluate. Remember, this is an emergency use authorization. They have limited data. So out of 144,000, we know there's been minimal infections and that's why they're granting this. But the full research on the efficacy of this thing has not completely been rolled out. Uh, so I think we have to wait till that data come in. Um, my medical director here told us that he anticipates that we will be fully precautionary through the end of 2021, at least into the fourth quarter. Um, the other day, I listened uh, on uh, morning news on NPR, and there was an excellent physician, uh, I can't remember his name, from Johns Hopkins, who is in their immunology area, and he said he believes that we'll start returning to normal by the end of the first quarter, by the end of um, March or beginning of April, but that will be uh, such things as maybe we can open back up restaurants full force. Um, you know, we, we don't need to be as precautionary, but I think it's safe to say that we should, especially in healthcare, because we're dealing with so many people, a varied um, infection rate, uh, we'll need to take precautions into the foreseeable future. Chuck, we got one more for you here. By enrolling as a type 73, does it change any of our current typing in place or, any, or place any restrictions on us? or non-COVID billing? I am not aware of that. I, it's a separate thing altogether. So the 73 doesn't affect the 59, the 59 doesn't accept yeah. the, the, the 73. That's as I understand it. The other thing I wanna say, and I didn't uh, cover this, Karen, I just remembered, um, we anticipate, we don't know, but we anticipate that um, commercial insurances will probably follow the Medicare fee schedule or somewhere they're close. So if you're thinking about payment rates for commercials, we don't know that yet. Also, want to call your attention to the fact that for those of you in areas that has a high Medicare Advantage or Part C population, the billing will not be going to the uh, Medicare Part C program. All billing to Medicare for the vaccinations are going to be funneled through the fee-for-service or what we call regular Medicare. So that's unique. So those of you that are contracted through your Medicare Advantage plans, um, you'll have to wait for guidance from them as to whether they uh, will want you to roll the claim up to them. But all indication is that this will be totally doled out by, and paid by the MAC. The following thing is for 
a COVID patient who receives a vaccine who is uninsured, uninsured people, there will be only reimbursement available through the uninsured patient payment program. And that's that program that we talked to you about several weeks ago. Actually, I guess it's months now. Uh, time's all kind of relative and flies for me, but um, that you enrolled for, those of you enrolled so you could receive payment for that. And we're fearful unless refunded, and we'll see what this latest stimulus package has in it, that that program will soon run out of money. So it could be that the uninsured patient that comes through your lines to be in, you know, immunized, uh, you may not receive reimbursement from them. So it's another financial consideration for you. <clears throat> will I be able to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, provide immunizations to those people? And I don't think you're gonna be allowed to be discriminatory once you sign on. So if somebody steps up and says, I need an immunization um, and they are part of that population, you're gonna be eating that cost. So think of that um, in, is, you know, when you're thinking about ordering supplies, what this is gonna be a cost factor to you up front, uh, those kind of considerations have to be made and we'll have updates on that as time moves on. Thank you. Are there any other questions, folks? Uh, just I uh, recognize that sometimes uh, questions come up uh, right after the webinar is over or days later, um, feel free to contact us if you wish. Uh, the best way as far as handling uh, COVID questions is something we established back in March. Please just write us at covidhelp at quickmedclaims.com. Chuck or I um, basically man that uh, inbox and we'll be glad to respond to you. I think it's best bet, even though you may be used to dealing with other uh, folks in our organization, as it relates to this, we wanna make sure our messaging is consistent and should be. Um, so by all means, just use COVID help at quickmedclaims.com. We'll be glad to answer your question. Um, for those of you that may want a copy of this, maybe to share with other members of your leadership within your organization, uh, we did record this. We will be placing this on our private YouTube channel. If you need it, just give me a, drop me an email. I'll send you the link uh, and you can take a look at it at any time. So uh, with that, I will say thank you for all for joining us. We appreciate you being here. Uh, we hope you found this uh, little bit of information helpful and informative. I will use this word again, this is very fluid. Uh, we will try to get any new information out to you, anything updates, any changes uh, as quickly as we can. Um, we again, appreciate all of you being here. Thank you for the great work you do. Uh, I wish each of you a wonderful holiday as much as it can be. I recognize um, family gatherings aren't gonna be the same as they were probably last year. And um, I also recognize that there's been families, be it your neighbors, be it people directly related to you. Uh, there may be an empty seat at the table uh, this year as a result of some of this and uh, our hearts do go out to all of you. So with that, I'll thank my colleague, Chuck Humphrey. I'll thank you folks for joining. Um, I wish you well and ha hey, be safe. Be safe out there. Out there.